0: Today is Tuesday, June 21st, and you are listening to Community Radio. This is KVMR FM, Nevada City, KCPC, Camino. It's 6 p.m., and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening, I'm Claudio Mendonça. Our gas prices are the highest in the United States, and next month, the gas tax is set to increase to 54 cents per gallon. But are there other reasons for that pain we all feel at the pump? The California Report explains how a bipartisan group of state lawmakers is investigating what else may be behind the price spike. After regional news and weather, Felton Pruitt talks with Mary Gauthier. And Mark Cuneberti is here to talk quantitative tightening. This is the California
1: Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. At well over six bucks a gallon, California has the highest gasoline prices in the country. Now, a bipartisan group of state lawmakers is investigating whether price gouging by energy companies is a big factor. From Cap Radio in Sacramento, Nicole Nixon reports.
2: Yes, California's gas tax is the highest in the nation and contributes to the higher prices we pay at the pump. But the group of lawmakers believes that's not the only reason. Speaker Anthony Rendon says companies like Shell and Chevron have clocked record profits this year. And he says that's one reason he and other Democrats are reluctant to suspend the gas tax, despite pressure from Republicans and now some moderate Democrats.
1: Californians need more than Band-Aid relief from high gas prices. We need long-term solutions.
2: UC Davis economics professor David Rapson says many factors contribute to the high cost of fuel right now. Supply and demand, the war in Ukraine, and limited capacity at refineries. He says there are other factors worth looking into, like a so-called mystery surcharge of roughly 30 to 50 cents a gallon. Some economists believe it's tied to a fire at a Southern California refinery seven years ago.
0: This is a meaningful amount over the long run that Californians are paying, and I think it's worth understanding, you know, what's going on there. But
2: Rapson warns it won't solve the high gas prices drivers around the world are feeling today. Instead of suspending the gas tax, which is set to increase to 54 cents per gallon next month, lawmakers and the governor are negotiating an inflation relief package to send rebates to consumers. For the California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento.
1: Cal Fire is the state's firefighting department. It responds to thousands of fires every year, often at great risk to firefighters. That's earned Cal Fire a heroic image in the public's eye. But Cal Fire's mission goes way beyond fire suppression. Cal Fire is also responsible for work that helps prevent catastrophic fire damage. That includes clearing overgrown brush and other vegetation from forest floors and setting control burns to use up potential fuel. Now, Now, last year, Governor Gavin Newsom and the state legislature set aside a historic amount of money for this fire prevention work, about a billion and a half dollars. But an investigation from the California newsroom found Cal Fire is fumbling key aspects of its fire prevention work. To talk about what was discovered, I'm joined now by Danielle Venton of KQED, who reported the story with CAP Radio's Scott Rod. Hey, Danielle. Morning, Saul. When we talk about wildfire prevention... What does it look like and what were some of the issues that you explored related to it?
3: The department is required by law to file a report with the legislature every year detailing its fire prevention activities, but it hasn't submitted one of those reports in at least the last four years. These are things like vegetation management projects, clearing fuels, building a workforce that can do prescribed fires, inspecting properties. We know that Cal Fire has an overarching goal where the the state and the federal government each are supposed to treat half a million acres annually by 2025, and it is apparently well short of that goal, but it's hard to say exactly how much because the tracking for this is so poor.
1: What are some of the real-world consequences of this for California and Californians?
3: Well, presumably the state is at a greater risk of catastrophic fires than it could be, The state has invested a record $1.5 billion for wildfire prevention and for forest health in 2021. But still, Cal Fire's hiring in this area remains stagnant, even though its staffing for firefighting has ballooned. We spoke with Margot Robbins, who's the executive director of the Cultural Fire Management Council. Her expertise is in setting intentional fires that benefit the landscape, and she works closely with CAL FIRE. Here's her reaction to our finding that the department hasn't hired many new people to do forest management work.
4: Looking at these numbers, it is very obvious to me that they're not putting as much focus as they should be on prevention as opposed to reactionary suppression. If they would focus more on that management piece, I think we would be seeing a very different scenario in terms of
3: wildfires. And she said CAL FIRE has made improvements in its fire prevention, but that they have a ways to go. We also saw instances where CAL FIRE has taken years to implement laws passed by the state legislature, and that has slowed the pace of protective projects, some of our sources tell us. Experts say this delay has caused a loss of opportunities to enact really community-protecting work. So what are some
1: of the reasons you found for this?
3: Well, going back 20 years ago, CAL FIRE started seeing itself much more as a firefighting agency, and not so much as a forest management department. You know, its full official name is the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. But in 2006, the firefighters union pushed to rebrand the department as CAL FIRE to emphasize their priority was fighting fires. Experts we spoke to also point to public pressure. The public really wants to see firefighting, but largely neither the public nor the agency regards prevention work, you know, as heroic in the way that we do firefighting work.
1: All right. So how did CAL FIRE itself react or respond to your investigation?
3: Well, we spoke with CAL FIRE's new chief, Joe Tyler, and he defended CAL FIRE's record to an extent. He believes that it's getting really important work done, and he said that they are investing in community preparedness and mitigation and continuing to do, you know, fuel projects, but Tyler also acknowledged that forest management and fire prevention has taken a backseat to fire suppression over the years.
0: I sincerely recognize the need to change the way we do uh, and have changed the way that we do business. Yes, I have to change some of the historic culture within Cal Fire to continue our investments, not only in suppression,
3: but also in prevention. Now, how juggling that firefighting and prevention work will play out under his tenure, we will see. All right. That is Danielle
1: Venton of KQED talking about her investigation into Cal Fire and what it has or hasn't been doing when it comes to its fire prevention work. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you, Saul. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care, now with 834
5: drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org.
1: And that is this edition of the California Report for Tuesday, June 21st. I'm Saul
0: Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening. On Wednesday, the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance Compassion Committee will be providing free cannabis sourced and produced locally to qualified patients. I spoke with Alliance Director Diana Gamzon about it earlier today.
6: We are so excited to announce the inaugural Compassionate Care Giveaway, which is going to be tomorrow, Wednesday, June 22nd. The purpose of this event is to provide local medical cannabis to Nevada County patients in need. There will be medical cannabis provided that has been locally sourced and manufactured, as well as this will be an educational event about medical cannabis. The event will take place from 3 to 7 p.m. tomorrow at Elevation 2477, 569 Strolls Avenue. It's being hosted by the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance Compassion Committee, which aims to provide free cannabis medicine that is sourced and produced locally to qualified patients throughout Nevada County. So really what we have here is local licensed Nevada County cannabis businesses have organized to create a supply chain to locally cultivate, manufacture, test, distribute, and dispense cannabis. There's been over two dozen businesses that have come together to make this happen. So we're really, really excited about it. And at the event, we're going to have several medical cannabis educators there. So feel free to come and just learn about the benefits of medical cannabis. And if it may be right for you, there'll be products available and all the products will be for free.
0: And anybody who wants to go can go and get free cannabis.
6: You must have, you're actually required to have your medical cannabis recommendation and you must have a valid ID.
0: So it's the first, I imagine it won't be the last.
6: We are going to, this is going to be our first one, but we're looking to do these pretty regularly, perhaps as, 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 as soon as the next month or two.
0: All right, that was Diana Gamzon, Executive Director of the Nevada County Cannabis Alliance, talking about a free cannabis giveaway event for all patients who are qualified, taking place tomorrow at Elevation at 3 o'clock. Thanks very much for coming in.
6: Great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Nevada County announced today that it has awarded an additional $50,000 in relief funds to 20 micro-businesses impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. All micro-businesses received $2,500 in grant funding, and to date, Nevada County has awarded over $100,000. The additional 20 awarded businesses reside in Nevada City, Grass Valley, Penn Valley, and North San Juan. Diverse business types included transportation, health and wellness, salons and spas, alternative medicine, artists in paint and illustration, cleaning services, agriculture and farming, childcare providers, music studios, and instrument repair. Says Nevada County CEO Allison Lehman, This program focused on supporting the very small businesses that help make Nevada County a special place to live and work. We recognize the creativity, diversity, and resilience of our community in these Small Business Owner Grant Awards. Turning now to regional weather, a heat advisory remains in effect for most of our listening area until 10 p.m. on Wednesday, with widespread heat risk expected in the Central Valley and moderate to high heat risk here in the foothills. Listeners are reminded to stay out of the sun if possible, drink plenty of fluids, and check on neighbors and relatives. Young children and pets should never be left unattended in vehicles under any circumstances. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, clear with a low around 66. Wednesday will be sunny with a high near 94. Wednesday will be partly cloudy with a low around 66. Tahoe and Truckee is expected to be hot with thunderstorms from Wednesday into the weekend. Tonight will be clear with a low around 48. Wednesday will bring increasing clouds with a high near 82. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 50. And in the Valley, Sacramento and Woodland, tonight will be clear with a low around 68. Wednesday will be the hottest day this week with a high near 102. Although Wednesday night will cool down significantly with partly cloudy skies and a low around 65. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Up next, Felton Pruitt talks with 2019 International Artist of the Year, Mary Gaucher, about her new album, Dark Enough to See the Stars. We're talking with Mary Gaucher. She's going to be coming to the Auburn
5: State Theater on Wednesday, June 22nd. Mary, it's wonderful to be talking with you.
4: Yeah, Felton, good to be on the line with you as well. Thanks for having me
5: you got a new album out called dark enough to see the stars which uh we've been playing here on KVMR. Uh let's chat a little bit about your new record.
4: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, it uh it came out the first week of, of June. Uh so we're just getting started with it. I'm I'm touring it like crazy. Uh and I'll be I'll be heading your way soon and uh, it's a collection of songs that I wrote through I guess the last 5 or 6 years. Before this one, I put out a record of songs I had collaborated with Wounded Veterans on, and those were written through a program called Songwriting with Soldiers, and that record did uh, surprisingly, amazingly well. I got nominated for a Grammy, and it, it had me running around for two years, uh, and so this one uh, is a very different experience for the listener. This one is, is my songs written sort of about love and sort of about grief, which... Apparently, if you love, you you will grieve. And that's the nature of this song collection. And uh, I'm super excited to be back on the road working, as is every musician who's back out on the road working.
5: Did the pandemic come into this album? Or are there songs that relate to the pandemic, or did you just stick with the love and stuff?
4: Well, you know, I didn't directly stick with the pandemic. But when John Prine died, that sort of kicked off the really rough two years of of grief and loss. I I lost a lot of friends. Uh, You know, John died of COVID. My friend David Olney, incredible songwriter, had a heart attack on stage at a festival. We were playing uh, in Florida. You know, we lost Justin, uh, Steve Earl's son, and uh, Nancy Griffith just died. And I've, I've got a huge number of friends that passed away. It seems like it's been two years of grief and loss and, And I'm in a new relationship that makes me really happy. So it's all happening at the same time, which uh, is uh, a lot of feelings, you know, a lot of emotion.
5: Well, you've always, with your songwriting at least, you've dug very deep and then exposed all of your inner feelings. So um, that's just what we expect from you.
4: Yeah, I mean, hopefully what what I did was get get myself uh, into the story of our times. You know, I teach songwriting quite a bit, and when I'm working with my students, I always tell them that if you get way down deep inside yourself, you're going to hit the universal. The universal is where we all find each other. It's where we connect. The universal truths are where we we see ourselves in songs, and uh, uh, I think that that's the goal, is to, to get deeply personal so that it, it connects with everyone that's human, that's living uh, this human experience.
5: Yeah, it's an interesting experience, most definitely. We're talking with Mary Gaucher. She's going to be performing at the Auburn State Theater on Wednesday, June twenty second, supporting her new album, "Dark Enough to See the Stars." That's a great title for an album. I mean, we've all we all like it when it's dark enough to see the stars.
3: You
4: know, I think there's a um, implied a hope in that title. The, the implication of that is hope. I got that image from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's mountaintop speech. And he was telling the people that only when it's dark enough can you see the stars. And I think that, you know, given what we've all been going through uh, on a lot of levels, uh, it feels like an appropriate title for, for a body of work for this time period that we're living in.
5: Well, we want to encourage people to come out to the State Theater on Wednesday, June 22nd. What can you tell people your show will be like?
4: Well, we're, we're gonna, I'm gonna have a harmony singer, guitar player with me, Jamie Harris. She's gonna probably open the show, I think. Then she'll join me. Uh, we'll have stories and songs and there's a real float. It's got emotion and it's also got humor. Levity's important. I think it's important to, to laugh and to cry. You know, if you wanna, wanna have some feeling, some emotion, uh, this is the show for you.
5: Thanks for talking with us, Mary Gaucher. We'll see you at the Auburn State Theater on Wednesday, June 22nd.
4: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, Felton.
0: Quantitative tightening is when the Federal Reserve reduces its monetary reserves in order to tighten its balance sheet. Here's Mark Cunaberdi with his thoughts.
7: Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name's Mark Kuniberti. Although the markets have halted their brutal day-after-day erosions on occasion, the brutal sell-off on June 9th and 10th seemed to confirm the general direction is still downward. Obviously, there's still plenty to be concerned about. The market's fall has been attributed to the Fed's increasing of the overnight interest rates, which also affect borrowing rates economy-wide. The rate increases to date and the expected rates to come have had and will continue to add intrepidation to investor mindsets. The rate increases are implemented to rein in the worst inflation in 40 years. The Feds have a two-part plan to address inflation. The first part is the aforementioned interest rate increases. The second part is called quantitative tightening. Although the counterpart to quantitative tightening is quantitative easing, which encompasses the Feds buying debt instruments from the banking institutions, which then floods the economy and the banking institution with money, quantitative tightening does the exact opposite. The Feds, instead of buying debt, dump their debt onto the books in the bond markets. Being larger than the stock market, what happens in the bond market affects everything else. Bonds are just debt from public and private companies, financial institutions, governments, and home mortgages, to name a few. The bonds the Feds own include government debt and home mortgages. The Fed's tightening program they will soon implement includes the sale of $95 billion worth of bonds a month until further notice. No small amount, to be sure. The Feds have been on the buy side of the bonds over the last few decades or more, totally in the area of trillions and trillions of dollars. Now on the rare sell side of things, the markets have yet to see the effects of what the Fed selling bonds will do in the short, medium, and long term. What we do know is when the Feds were buying bonds, it was in response to a multi a multitude of economic whirlwinds, which included the dot-com crash, 9-11, the 2008-9 crisis, and the COVID-19 virus. As a result of their buying, the markets plowed through these events, only to end up much higher soon after. Now, having to instead sell debt going forward, it will likely be a huge negative for the markets and the economy in general. I'm of the opinion that the bond sales will not go over well with the bond and stock markets once the selling begins. After all, the markets and the economy are already under stress from supply-side issues, labor shortages, and inflation. In essence, the Fed may be tightening into an ever-weakening economy, a double whammy to be sure. In the early 80s, the Feds faced a similar situation. High inflation coupled with a stagnating economy. We called it stagflation back then. The Feds chose to address the stagflation by looking at the inflation part of the equation and left the markets and the economy to twist in the proverbial wind by jacking up interest rates. Paul Volcker, the Federal Reserve chief back then, raised interest rates 3% in one day. The world did not take it very well, nor the economies or the consumer. They burned him in effigy on the streets of Washington shortly thereafter. There is little argument that the interest rate increases of that magnitude would flatten world markets and the U.S. economy due to the much higher debt levels that exist on all platforms nowadays, both in the consumer and the business arena alike. The current economic environment unfortunately reeks once again of the dreaded stagflation, which once again reflects inflation, admits a weakening and increasingly stagnant economy, a combination of two very bad things. Although Jerome Powell is the current Fed chief, saddled with the unenviable job of putting the pieces back together this time around, I sure hope he can resurrect the spirit of the magician Houdini to assist him. Otherwise, our problem might seem more like a predicament and end up like one. For those of you that don't know, problems have solution, predicaments only have outcomes. I'm watching the markets so you don't have to. Views expressed are my opinions only and do not necessarily reflect those of this station its staff, management, or underwriters, and is not meant as investment advice. Our website is moneymanagerrader.com, where everything's free, our way of saying thank you for listening to your community radio station. I hold California insurance license OL34249, and my Medicare agent approves in the state of California. My name's Mark Puneberti. Thanks for listening.
0: that's our newscast for this evening you can listen to it again on our website kvmr.org or wherever you get your podcasts kvmr gets support from rick kalb wealth management advisor with northwestern mutual since 1983 providing wealth management and retirement planning strategies. Also, second opinions on current investment portfolios on Spring Street, Nevada City. Information online at rickkalb.com. And Gold Country Workers' Comp Center. Kyle Adamson and Kim LaValle offer 50 years of legal experience in workers' compensation, disability, social security, and more consultations available to discuss issue resolution information at goldcountryworkerscomp.com thanks very much for listening and for supporting your community radio station i'm claudio mendonza have a great evening